Hello, I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing, and welcome to a special edition of Working in the Theatre. This year, we'll celebrate the 66th Annual Tony Awards, once again recognizing and honoring theatre's best and greatest talents. Today, we're going to meet the people who produced the Tony Award TV show, hear from many of this year's nominees, and talk with a couple of past winners who have a little added twists to their Tony stories. But first, a little history. Named for Antoinette Perry, an actress and producer and a long-standing leader of the American theater wing, the Tony was first awarded in 1947. The most prestigious award in theater, it was first presented at a rather low-key event held in the grand ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria. But as its importance grew, so did the ceremony itself. Since 1967, the Tony Awards have been a television event, and this year, for the 35th time, it will be on CBS TV. Always a star-studded event, the Tonys have honored theater legends and newcomers, musicals and plays, and all the people whose creative work support every aspect of Broadway shows. The American Theatre Wing's Tony Awards are presented by the Broadway League and the American Theatre Wing, now with 26 categories and a number of special awards. The Tonys are still going strong at age 66. What's special about this one, uh, I think, is the fact that our show, The Columnist, uh, a play that I absolutely love, it, is a brand new play by David Auburn. And it's being done on Broadway without ever having been done anywhere before. And I think that's what's unique about my nomination, too. I think I'm the only actor who's opening in a brand new play, who has opened in a brand new play. And I think it's a great, uh, uh, it's a great symbolic gesture uh, on the part of the nominators. It's just sort of, it, it pays tribute to Manhattan Theatre Club for their courage. There's a category of dauntingly talented women that I'm among. It feels thrilling to be invited to this, uh, uh, to this party, to be anointed with this honor, to be in, included in this group. It's very exciting. This is a trip for me. This is a crazy, adventurous ride. Being a Brit, thrilled, delighted, who'd have thunk? <laughs> My mother said that when I, when I first got the gig. You, who'd have thunk? So the prize for me, in all sincerity, is actually being at the Velasco. Anything else on top of that is a ridiculous bonus, like those sprinkles on ice cream, you know? And it's all a bit of a knickerbocker glory, you know? It's fabulous. Success in the theatre I would define as longevity. Um, uh, Laurence Olivier was, you know, asked what's his advice for a young actor, and he said how to become an old actor. And I take that to heart. It's been a lot when we started downtown at a Classic Stage Company, and then MTC took us on board, and now we're at Lyceum. And and um, working with Walter and David from the beginning has been just life changing. Being in the company of people that you admire, and uh, and seeing them uh, either win or lose. There's a bit of discomfort in that, of course, but uh, <laughs> the winners, by the way, I don't know if you had this experience, but uh, when your name is called, if you're a winner, you go into shock, uh, and you head toward what you think is the microphone. But nothing is real from that point on until you have, have a, 
glass of water afterwards. Well, it's been a long journey, actually. It's been over a year, almost two years, um, because I was sent the play in July <laughs> in 2010, I guess, and we talked about it and talked about it and decided to do, do a little production at the Mitzi Newhouse at Lincoln Center. And, and then it became extremely successful, and then we migrated to the Booth Theater on Broadway in October, so we've been there since, which I guess will be seven, eight months, something like that. So it's been a real hunk of my life, and a, a really good one. You may not recognize their names or faces, but Ricky Kirshner and Glenn Weiss of White Cherry Entertainment are the men behind the CBS television telecast of the American Theatre Wing's Tony Awards. This year, they'll once again serve as executive producers of the show, as they have for the past eight years. Their 2010 production won two Primetime Emmy Awards, which brings the total number of Emmys for their Tony Award broadcasts to five. And Glenn and his directing team were honored with the Directors Guild Award for the 2011 Tony Awards. It's his eighth DGA nomination and third win for the Tony broadcast since 2001. They're back this year for the June 10th ceremony and are here today to share all the backstage secrets of how this amazing show gets put together and on the air live for three hours. So welcome, gents. Thank you. I am Thank you. thrilled that you're here. You are hired by the Tony Awards, which is a project of the American Theatre Wing and the Broadway League, to do a CBS broadcast. It is, it's complicated because we are, the theater is a collaborative world, and you come in as television experts. Um, you are charged with what? Doing a television show that? Let me say this, that we make a television show for CBS, but our passion and heart is fancying ourselves, not television people, but people of the Broadway community. We, we want to put on a show that represents Broadway uh, as best as we possibly can, and that you know hopefully will make people say, hey, I haven't been to Broadway, I want to go. So we're not coming in with a television mentality saying, let's not do that, let's not do that. We're really <coughs> coming in with a collaborative. We love the theater, and we want to just show Broadway as best we possibly can. Because you are both New Yorkers, so you get to go yeah. to the theater for the year, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, all those organizations have the same goal, which is to put Broadway in the best light. Plus, you forgot to mention the eight or 10 or 12 Broadway productions that we interface with just to get the show on the air. So we all have the same goal in mind. Um, do, in terms of, of that, I mean, I, right now when we're taping this, the, announce, the nominations were announced early this week and the show is in a few weeks. So you're, you're, this is valuable time for you guys. What is it that you're doing right now in this process running up to the Tony Awards? An interview with you instead of planning the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, it'll all come out at the end. <laughs> I mean, I think, at this point, there's a few things that happen. We're starting to meet with each of the shows that were nominated to figure out which number they want to do on the Tony Awards. And that involves a meeting with each production, their choreogra choreography team, their scenic team, their lighting team, their general managers or company managers. There's probably 20, 30 people in that room when we meet. For each one of the shows. For each one of the shows, music departments. And we're trying to plot out each detail of their performance and what they want to do. But at the same time, we're figuring out what are those other elements that go into the Tony Awards. Uh, like last year, opening number with Neil. Neil did a thing in the middle with Hugh Jackman. He did an ending. How do we treat the plays? So those are all the things that are going on right now. 
And, and I would imagine the opening number, to talk about the opening number last year, for, for example, which was, which was unique to a season in which the Book of Mormon was going to be clearly uh, a big winner. Um, that's sort of a television idea. Was that your idea? It was a, it was a collaborative effort. Um, I think the gist of what we were thinking was it was fairly clear that the Book of Mormon was going to have a banner year. Uh, there was a certain attitude, shall we say, right. of, of that show. Um, we just wanted to have a little fun. <laughs> and there was all this uh, speculation about how we would open the show, what we would do, would we just give the Book of Mormon the opening slot. I've read articles saying all different things. Right. And <coughs> we just wanted to kind of put our own stamp on, on the attitude of the year, if you will. Neil is a, is a fantastic talent. And working with him and, uh, you know, the, uh, basically, it, it became a very large effort. You know, Rob Ashford came in and, and put a huge mark on it. Um, but, but, but the whole genesis of it was, hey, let's just do something a little irreverent and see what we can come up with. It obviously doesn't work without Neil carrying it and Neil being who he was in that number. Right, and in a funny way, in, in, in a television show, to celebrate a season of Broadway shows, each one of which has been written, rehearsed, cast, to do an opening number that's brand new, it has to be all of those things, written, cast, right. orchestrated, recorded, right. stuff like that. So that's a Herculean effort on top of it. You, you talked about the shows. I, I assume that it went, when a show is nominated, the committee that you talked about, the group, has some strong opinions about what should be on, on the show. Do they listen to you? Um, I would say 80% of the time we're almost in sync on what number they should do. We have to think of the flow of the entire Tony Awards. Right. You can't have eight tap, tap dance numbers, even if you think you have the best tap dance number and he has the best tap dance number. At some point, we'd like uh, a duet or something different. So we try and gauge what's best for a show, how a show flows throughout three hours, and sometimes we need to convince one of the shows that you can't really do your big tap number because it's going to come right after their tap right. number or whatever. So. The, the other thing in that equation is, you know, what is a showstopper in your show has had context and build up to it. Right. You know, if we see a character in a certain way all show and then in this number he's a completely different character and you guys think, wow, because the audience goes nuts every night, part of the reason they may be going nuts is because of all the build that you right. don't have when you're only doing a three and a half minute number on the Tony Awards. So we have those conversations and it really is a collaboration. We don't want to be the guys coming in saying, this is what you're doing on right, TV. Right. We want to work with them. You know what? They created this material. They birthed it. They've worked hard over a long period of time. They're passionate about right. it. We understand that. We just want to kind of work with and make things that will flow well in the context of everything Ricky just described. Yeah. And also, sometimes your best number doesn't have your nominated star in it. Right. And you want to sell that you have this star in the show. So there's a lot of give and take on that. And one of the things that I've been very impressed with over the years is how it doesn't seem to me as if there is a position, an ideal, perfect position for, for a number to be in. You spread them out in the evening very well. Are there moments, though, that people think is the best, that they want, they're desperate to have theirs in the first hour, in the second hour, or before the final well, award? Everyone wants to be in Act One for some reason, and usually sometime in April we'll get a call from a producer with a great idea for the opening of the show. Right, which involves uh, their show. Yeah. It involves their own show, right, exactly. Right. Very strange that way. Um, but they all want to be in the first hour. But I, I think, and I could be wrong about this, CBS has shown us statistics and ratings that the Tony Awards pretty much stay within a pretty good range for three hours, and then in the last hour when you're giving out Best Musical, we, we pretty much hold our own. So. I don't think there's any statistical reason to be in the first hour. 
we try and gauge the show with some energy in act one, maybe a duet in act you know, four or five, and then build towards the end. And we also like to tease things in bumpers saying coming up, right. so and so. Um, so that's, that's how we plot out the show. Yeah, we do try to look at this from our point of view, and we hope that the producers we're working with can understand this. We do look at this as the greater good of, wow, that was a great three hours. I really want to go see a Broadway show. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't always mean that you get the first or you get the third or whatever, but looking at the greater good, this is just trying to be as entertaining as it can be and keeps, you know, the more people we keep watching the show, the better it is for everybody who's on the show. I'm sorry, but there's another more technical reason that, that works in this checkerboard that we have in our office, which is sometimes if your award is here, your performer can't be in this act in your right. number because they have to change out of their costume. I mean, Wicked being the perfect example, yes. when Idina was green, <laughs> right. there's only one or two places that can fit in the show because of when we gave out the, that award, how long it took her to get dressed, how long it took her to get undressed or out of green and Shrek the same thing. So that also plays into where you fall in the show. Yeah, which, 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 which prompts me to bring my prop because I thought it'd be interesting to show people this document that, <laughs> that is full of many colored pages. What is this? It's our Bible, it's our you know, score, if you will. And, the, and if I can, the colored pages get updated every day as production gets, gets closer, as things move around right. and things change. And, you know, the, the colored pages are actually updates. That's exactly right. 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 It all starts out white, and then you have this rainbow that you have here right. at, by the end of the show. Right, and I'm always stunned at the show. It's just how much work, work it is. Also, you, you have awards to give out and presenters. Do you, de do you decide who does the presentation of the awards, or is there a committee of people no. throwing ideas your way? Well, we get pitched a lot of names, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, I've pitched you a couple of names that have come to me, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Shows don't get produced very well by committee. At right. the end of the day, a decision needs to be made, especially when you're dealing with a live show. There's a deadline. We have to be on the air at this point. You know, you can kind of throw ideas back and forth, engage, but decisions need to be made. But, but we've, we've really tried hard to cast presenters. A lot of award shows that we've worked on in the past, and even when we started the Tony Awards at the beginning, I think, we would get a list of presenters and we'd say, oh, we'd love to have those 20 people, let's take them. And then we'd try and figure out where they go. Right. Now we do it in the reverse and we look at the award and we say, who would be good giving out that award? And let's go after them. So um, we do try and, we really try and think about why they make sense for that award slot. Um, and and w obviously three hours sounds like a long time, but to you and the book, it's every minute is allocated so that it can be relaxed casual, in and out of commercials. and, yeah, and it's relaxed. At, at well, yeah. funny you say in and out of commercial because last year we had this really stupid idea that we would give out awards during commercials. <laughs> so uh, we realized it, it actually worked great for the people in the house. You were there yes. in the house and you never felt like the show ended. Right. Didn't work so great for the people behind the scenes in that no one ever got a break for three hours. And usually in our commercial breaks, well, first of all, we're doing the setup for the next act, so when the curtain comes in, all the work to turn into the next musical number for the next act is happening. But also, the truck, the video truck, is looking ahead to the next act and saying, what do we have to do? What, do we ha what tape do we have to roll? What are our camera calls? And we sort of took that away from them last year by <laughs> doing these awards. Um, so there was no relaxation time at all, but it really made the show better, I think. And I also have to say this, <coughs> your prop is an excellent example. You look at a book like that, and that is what we all follow.
but it's also symbolic to me in this way. Uh, Ricky and I will receive an Emmy for the broadcast for the work we did. It's, it's not Ricky and I doing it, it's an army. <laughs> an army. We, we, we literally have this, this huge staff, I mean, just the people in the script department alone putting uh, this, stagehands, cameramen, utilities, tr engineers, uh, e talent department, production department. It, it, it's, it, it takes a village, as they say. Right. Um, you know, it's great to have these ideas, it's great to want to put on a show, but if you're not surrounded by people who know what they're doing and are precision in a live show, um, you're going nowhere. How many, how many bodies? From the time of nominations till the show, do you add on to your staff, the, the village? Well, you're counting stagehand. Yeah. Everyone yeah, yeah. it takes to do a production. Couple hundreds. Couple, couple hundreds. hundreds. We yeah. also have two to three hundred uh, equity members, um, 30 or 40 musicians. I mean, you know, I think we probably have one of the biggest casts on television in terms of the amount of equity after people that are on the show. All the Broadway people coming yeah. in. I also sh should point out that last year, was a change to the beacon, um, which I think everybody learned that the, that the title of Radio City, that Radio City is a city and the beacon mm -hmm. is a theater. <laughs> and I have to commend you guys because there was a lot of conversation about how it was going to be done. And you, you sure made it look effortless. Well, thank you. I think yeah. there was, a, once again, there were a lot of people involved in the pre-planning. We, we actually built the city out on Amsterdam yeah, Avenue, sure if you remember, <laughs> uh, with tents and other things to create backstage space that didn't exist in the Beacon. And I thought scenically, um, we went, obviously we went to a little bit of a more electronic look, but I think it actually gave us more depth in this weird way. And we've always believed that the scenery is more than just a backdrop, and so we encouraged everyone to have uh, some front pieces, pieces that gave us depth, you could walk through, going could shoot off of, and uh, I thought it looked great. And it also, A, the performers liked it better because they were closer to the audience, right. like a real Broadway theater, and it felt like the people in the audience liked it better because they were closer right. to the performers. So. It felt, felt more, more like a theater, right? I think, which, which is, which is which is great to hear from your perspective, but also when you hear that from almost every performer coming off the stage, it's, it's you know, they got it, and as a result, their performance was different, you know, in terms of energy. Yeah. Radio City is, is, is a cavern, right. but it was really important to us from day one in Radio City to build a false proscenium so that you're not 100 feet right. wide, you're exactly the size of a Broadway house. But because of the closed down and all sorts of logistics, it was removed. It was further yeah. upstage, just away from the audience. So when we're in tight on camera, it still felt like a Broadway show, but the performers didn't feel that intimacy to the audience. And I do think that it impacted performance yeah. a little bit. They were just in a different place at the Beacon, and it was, it was nice. Now, I think a, a question that everybody always has is, what does influence when you bring in the orchestra? Which, of course, nobody necessarily likes, but, but you need to do it. So what, uh, what influences it? it? I think we're very specific in that luncheon. If you speak from the heart, if you talk about things that are meaningful, you will never get cut off. Um, you Pull know. out the paper with the agent. And the manager. Bye -bye. And, <laughs> yeah, and then and it's not good television, first of all. It's not interesting to anyone except the people you're listing. And once again, you're just hurting people on the other side who deserve their time as well. We've had... The one thing people always talk about, though, on the Tony Awards, and we've played off very few people. We can kid around, but yep. we've played off very few people. Everyone says that the Tony Award speeches are probably the most heartfelt, heartwarming, intelligent speeches because theater actors seem to be you know, in the mode of being able to give those speeches. 
So we really try not to cut people off, and we only do it if they sort of bring it on themselves, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yes. Um, you've done other award shows, and you've worked with the National Football League, halftime shows, and stuff like that. How does the theater community stack up to the other, other television folk you work with? Oh, I can, <laughs> you know, especially being the director on state and working with them and everything. I, I, I work every genre of television. I've not seen performers any, anywhere even close to, to what uh, the Broadway community has been. I mean, they're just, they're, they're, number one, they are a community. And I don't think you really get that m much anywhere else. But they are a community. They know each other. They care about each other, or at least they give the appearance that they do. <laughs> they do. Um, and uh, they're just, they're professionals. They're live actors and actresses. They're on stage eight times a week. Um, they're just, they're in their element, and they're wonderful to work with. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things on that. One, on the community thing, if you come to our dress rehearsal, which you've been at many times, it's always great to see the cast of shows Watching, watching other shows because they don't get to see it because they're working eight times a week and they see their friends and they've never seen their friends performance and they all cheer for each other and it's really a nice nice moment and in terms of professionalism i mean you have people that can hit a mark that if something's changed we go to a choreographer or a director and say hey can we do this over here and bring this and the actors get it like that and there's no attitude and you know it's just great to be a part of it and and obviously we're bringing this to television, and these people have lived it for months, and in some cases years, before they ever get to us. So it's really, you know, great to work with people that are that on. Yeah, and I remember lighting the piazza. Um, her mic went out. Things happen. Her Live and, television. And, she, and there was a mic handed to her, and she just continued like nothing ever happened. And that yeah. was that was extremely, extremely impressive. And, and that's indicative of what is, you know, incredibly impressive about the army that I was talking about that does the Tony Awards. We're a live show. This is not something that, you know, oh, her mic's not working, let's stop redo. You know, that doesn't happen. We're live, we're going out, you know, on television at that moment. So it just takes a lot of quick thinking, staying on your toes, and making sure that mishaps are, hopefully don't even make right. it home. People don't even know that something happened. And yes, these performers are the perfect performers to be in that they're scenario. Not, not, how to do that. I saw the Olivier's this year, and they had a full orchestra on stage. Um, unlike today in the Tonys, they only, I think, got into the theater, you know, the day before or something. But would you ever go back, would you ever have a live orchestra playing? If, obviously, it would have to be at Radio City or someplace that has a stage that size. But would you ever do that? Well, or we what do, would the downside be? We do have a live orchestra playing, just to be clear. Right. The, you know, the, all of the walk-ons, walk-ups, and all that stuff. The, uh, so, I mean, the orchestra is with us live. The concept of performance numbers, if you will, uh, is that we're trying to replicate the experience in a Broadway theater visually. And, you know, if a show like, um, anything goes Catch Me year? If You Can. Catch me if, Catch me If You Can has musicians on stage. We put them on stage and we try to replicate it. But I, I think the progress that we've made on the Tonys, you know, a, a, a part of that is really working hard to get the scenery to a place where you're really replicating the theater experience and not just, you know, um, okay, let's put an orchestra on stage and plop some performers in front of them because right. it's not, you know, it's a nice event to be a part of when you're attending a concert, but we're trying to simulate, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazingly large effort because we're trying to simulate the theater experience from eight different shows in one theater. Right. But, but you also, I'd just like to say about the orchestra, A, our orchestra is live, and B, the amount of music that we put into a three-hour television show is astronomical. 
not only are they doing 14 performances of music, commercials, play-ons, playoffs, but they also have to have winner music for 16 categories five different ways because we don't know who's going to win. Right, right. And then play it when they hear the winner's name. Now, I did see one year at a dress rehearsal that Hugh Jackman was hosting to, to keep the, as you say, to keep the audience amused during the dress rehearsal. He did a little bit of his act from Las Vegas, and I saw Jack Sussman, who's the CBS guy in charge of all specials, I saw him run down the aisle, and I thought, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing that on the show that night, which we did. But does something like that just throw everything into a, a chaos, or are you guys prepared to cut something over here in order to make room for something like that? Uh, well, we, we actually knew you was going to do that and had talked about him doing it on the show, and then he didn't want to, and when he did it, and the audience reaction was amazing. It was that yeah. dress rehearsal at Radio City, so there was a lot of people there. Right. <laughs> right. And then we talked to Jack, and we convinced you to do it. Um, I think we were okay to go a little long. I mean, we, we obviously couldn't go 10 minutes long for a show, but at that point, we said to Jack, look, if we go a minute or two long at this point, we can't turn back. Right. So. He was okay with it, but once again, as Glenn's mentioned a few times about our staff, that means flipping a lot of pages right. in that book and, and getting a, and a new color. coming And getting 50 people on the right page. So, you know, audio knows we're doing it, lighting knows we're doing it. Right. I mean, you can't just throw it in there and go, hey guys, forgot to tell right. you. So. And on the night of the Tony Awards, you guys are where, and where is Jack Sussman? I'm backstage uh, on the stage with Jack. Uh, and I'm on headset with Glenn, who's in the video truck. Um, also being the voice of God and a very cheerful voice of God <laughs> in the house. If the, if the audience needs to be told something, it's Glenn's voice who says, you know, it, three minutes, guys, back I'm, in your seats. I'm actually in a truck right outside uh, the backstage door, which is a mobile control room, if you will. It's, you know, surrounded by monitors, get to see all the angles and everything. And that's where we're actually uh, calling, if you will, calling the show from. And you guys really don't know who wins before the show begins. We, we don't know until we hear their name called, uh, which once again, I mean, there's a lot of things happen when that name's called. A, Glenn has to call the right camera. Right. B, we have to roll please. the right, yeah. <laughs> we, have, we roll a wind clip, so there's five different clips, four different clips queued up. The, the orchestra has to play the right music. There's a lot of things that happen and we, we really don't know. So, so the, the people who are very quick on all that chat and other similar kind of places to, to, to put forward opinions might be a little bit, uh, might give a little, have a little bit more of an understanding of what actually goes into the evening. Or they'll rip apart this interview too, like, right. Yeah. Right. like our show, so it's okay. I had this idea once to let them have like a three or four minute segment and come up with the best idea and then give them sort of the budget that we have to work with right. and the time limitations and the rehearsal limitations and do sort of behind the scenes thing of, see how easy it is to do because and I'm not picking on one website right. but when you think about it obviously there are many ideas we have some go by the wayside for time money you can't book the right people to do the idea so there are a lot of good ideas out there but sometimes the realities of putting them on TV just they don't all come together is the book done for this year yet or it started oh, book has no. barely started at this <laughs> point. well that's great well listen thank you guys for being here I appreciate it. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, we are incredibly indebted to you for, the, for what you have done for eight years and will continue to do for the Tony Awards. Thanks to CBS, too. Jack has been a great partner. So I thank you, thank you both for being here. It's been great. Thanks. Thanks. Thank Pleasure you for having us. Success in the theatre. Getting a chance to, to do theater, no matter where that is. I mean, for me, if you get a chance to get on a stage and have that holy communion with an audience, 
portraying a character in a situation of some sort, that's success, you know, you're getting to do it. Success in theater is getting to do theater. I think success in the theater is, is feeling great about what you've done every night on stage, no matter where it is, no matter how much you're getting paid, no matter who it's with. Leaving the theater every night knowing that you left everything you had on that stage. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's, um, it's a little bit, uh, it's like a cherry on top of a, of a major, majorly great dessert. Because <laughs> the show's so much fun and it's been a pleasure to do. And, and so this nomination is just an added bonus, I think. <laughs> My biggest thing is that I would say to people that are, you know, interested, you have to love it because it's hard but it's so rewarding at the same time. But you have to keep that drive and that determination and always remember why you're doing what you do because that is gonna be the through line that's gonna get you through it. No matter what, it's stressful, but it's so rewarding. Just walking to the theater every day, I'm like, this is my job. Getting bows and just the love that outpours out. Yay, Newsies, because uh, I asked immediately, how many for Newsies, how many? Because they're really wonderful for the show. It's a wonderful acknowledgement for what we do, of course, us as individuals, but it's really important for the show, especially when you have an underdog kind of show like Newsies. The show itself is so, it's so iconic, and, and you know, we've been through a lot with getting this show here to Broadway and just worked so hard. The cast is just amazing, but also the fact, you know, I've been in the business for a while, and, uh, you know, there's always been like a, a fantasy of, of being acknowledged this way and I'm just so happy that uh, something like this has happened with this particular show. He needs no introduction beyond these two words, Joel Gray. Performer, director, old-fashioned song and dance man, Joel Gray has been on stage, film and television and behind the scenes for more than 60 years. A Tony winner for his 1967 role as the MC in Cabaret, he also won an Oscar for the same role. In addition to being a Tony winner, he's received multiple nominations, and I'm delighted to welcome him to working in the theater. Welcome, my friend, Joel Gray. My friend, Ted Fagan. <laughs> this is nice. Since this is a Tony Award-inspired um, mm. edition of working in, in the theater, I wanted to talk a little bit about your Tony Award for, for Cabaret, because um, it was a remarkable performance. There's no question about it. Do you remember when in the in the creating that role, you might have had a sense that a Tony Award could possibly be within reach? No, never. <laughs> I had no idea. I, I thought we were just, we were doing something very arty and scary, and no one thought it was going to be particularly, um, you know, popu a popular musical. And it was on its own level, but also very serious. And when we were rehearsing, People were saying, this is not going to be, this can't work. A musical about Nazis. Right. And um, with Hello Dolly playing across the street or whatever, this there is not what the folks Right. Want. And uh, Hal took us to uh, the Schubert in Boston. And we didn't know, we liked it, but we didn't know what the public was going to make of it. And after the opening number, the, the show stopped. Bill Coleman being the opening number. Yes, the audience just went crazy. Bill Coleman, bienvenue, welcome. Frère, étranger, stranger. Glücklich, tu sais, je suis enchanté. Happy 
went off stage and they couldn't, nothing would happen. <laughs> and they said, well, should you go out there? I said, no, I'm not going out there again. <laughs> so then we knew that uh, something special was going on on stage. Talk about the song Mieskite. Um, it, it, one of the things that fascinates me about Cabaret is that it's a show that's been reconceived in different productions. Um, and and to my opinion, the, the toughness of it has been altered. But th there was resistance to the, to, to the song, the end of the song Mieskite, yes? Yes, yes. I think that there were a lot of extremely frightened people who thought that it was in, in itself a statement of anti-Semitism when it was in fact this great statement against anti-Semitism. But uh, Hal came up, you know, under the gun because so many people, you know, the B'nai Brits and, and other uh, people were sort of saying, you can't do that. Right. And um, so they changed it. If, uh, if, she, if you could see her through my eyes, she isn't a miskite at all. Right. And I was very upset because I knew, you know, I knew the intent. Right. And I would forget that new line from time to time. Right, <laughs> go to the old line. Yes. Well, that's great. And I, you know, the actor in the theater does have the last word. That's right, you're in control more than anybody <laughs> wants to think. I, I want to talk about Chicago. I mean, that was an, an, an amazing performance, so precise. And it, it, it makes me want to ask about research, because I remember you wore white gloves when you, when you sang the, the song about Mr. Cellophane. cellophane. Mm -hmm. What was that tradition? Is that something that, that, that you had found in? Um, it was sort of a, a tradition uh, in, the, in the terms of early vaudeville kind of performer. Uh, we didn't want to do a clown feet and makeup and all that, which was originally done with Barney Martin and brilliantly. Uh, but I said to Walter Bobby and and Ryan King, I said, I don't think I can be a big, dumb mechanic. Right. I said, I don't think that's the way I can, you know, be Amos Hart. Uh, I can be a guy who's so in love with her that he'll let her do anything. And that was how we got it was great. It was great. To that. I also, since, since, since it's Tony season, last year, The Normal Heart was that you co-directed with Joe, with the, not Joe, Joe Mantello was in it. You co-directed it with uh, George C. Wolfe. How did, you were in the original production, yes? I was. I replaced uh, Brad Davis three months after the show opened because he was diagnosed with AIDS. And uh, it was, it was probably the most profound theater experience I'd ever had next to directing it right. for the Actors Fund. Did you come that night? I didn't come, I wanted to. It was one of those d days that I put it on the calendar as the first thing and then four, four other things took over that We night. had the most amazing cast that one night. Well, and I have to say that what ended up on Broadway last year was unbelievable. It's a great play. The, the night that I saw it, they did a talk back afterwards and the poor guy was standing there telling the audience, there's a talk back stay and the audience left in total, total silence. And it was like, I don't think they wanted to talk to anybody about mm. anything. Well, that's good. Well, you, you, you have such a varied career. I, I want to I, I ask you, the other day I was walking down 7th Avenue and I saw a fork on the sidewalk. A fork? A fork, a metal fork on the sidewalk. And I thought of you. 
And the reason I thought of you is because <laughs> the other side, which I'm not sure the viewers of this understand about you, which is, which is your photography. So I want to show you my prop. Uh-oh. This is, this is a photograph of yours that you gave me. And, um, and I had it framed. I don't think you ever Love saw that. how it's. First of all, did, did we frame it okay? It's beautiful. <laughs> That's great. So, so. You know what this is? No. This was uh, part of the construction in Berlin of the, uh, the, the thing to uh, commemorate the murder of the Jews. That, that big, incredible uh, museum. And that was part of the, the workings. Because you now have three books of your photographs? Yes, and the fourth is just finished. And is this something new to you, or had you been taking pictures your whole life? I have always been taking pictures, but just for pleasure. And it's still pleasurable. And it turns out you have a really good eye. So they say. <laughs> and one book is, is from your Which cell phone. Which of them? Which is the good eye? <laughs> but there's a book of photos from your cell phone, right? Yes, yes, that was the first cell phone book, I think, called 1.3 Images from My Phone. So it, and it was a really poor, poor resolution cell phone. I mean, it was just stunning, the things that it came up with, because I just aimed it, and if the light was funny, it came out very interesting. And, and ha have you taken your camera when you've been doing acting jobs, or have you taken trips just for the photographs? Mm. It's all just part of life. I like that. And you're also a collector of art, are you not? I am. I'm a collector of photography and, and art. I've always, I don't know, I've always kind of wanted to be uh, an artist, but I, I found I couldn't draw. And I somehow remember when I was very little that I was good at it. That teacher said, come boy, why don't you and really kind of gave me a, uh, a boost. And then I grew up and somehow it was just lost. But I have a lot of friends who are artists. But act acting is art. It's all, you know, the directing, all of it. I'm really lucky in well, that I get to do a, a lot of things that I love. Well, and we're very lucky to, be, to, get, to get to see you. You're, you are in Anything Goes, yes? I am still in Anything Goes, having the time of my life. Playing Moonface. Playing Moonface Martin. And again, is he a little bit of an homage to other people from the past? Yeah, Jimmy Savo and those kinds of uh, stylized vaudeville performers who ended up on Broadway. I was, I was just thinking of the uh, first Tony Award, you know, that was, the first one that went out on television. Was yours? Yes. That's right, 1967. Yeah. And um, it was so exciting. It was in the Schubert Theater. You had a unique situation with the MC in, in Cabaret because you won a Tony for it. You created the role. Mm-hmm. You won a Tony for it. Mm-hmm. And then you did the movie version. Which I almost didn't do. Why? Because the director didn't want me in the movie. When the director was Bob Fosse, so... I, right. Well, he had, he had this notion that um, he was going to create Cabaret totally from the ground up, which meant that he would not use any of the people or the ideas from the Broadway show. Uh, so it was really a very last minute I didn't know thing. That. It would seem like such a natural because you won the Academy Award, did you not? I did. Yeah, and there aren't a lot of people who have won 
a Tony and the Academy Award for the same role. Did you end up learning new things about the role with Bob? Oh, Parker? absolutely, absolutely. I learn I learn new things every night. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. You know, but it, it is a remarkable movie because it's one of the few musicals that was made into a m movie that is in successful right. and also less of a musical in a way. I mean, right. the fact that he. No, Bob did brilliant, brilliant work. His reimagining re it with uh, Jay Press and Allen uh, and Cy Fewer was phenomenal. Do you prefer movies or television or, or theater? What do you, do you um, think at all? Well, like I say, on the stage, the actor is king. Right. <laughs> you can do what you want. Well, yes, I'm what? But do you, do you also find on stage that you are you respond to the differences in audiences from performance to performance, or do you absolutely? Much... I mean, you try not to. Right. But it, you're Jason. We're human. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're in a stellar company, and anything goes. I have to say. I mean, yeah, John McMartin is. It's a masterclass every night watching him. He's really great. Thank you very much. I always enjoy seeing you wherever it is as your extraordinary 80th birthday or here. Um, so it's always a pleasure to see you and thank you so much for coming to join us on this edition of Working in the Theater. My friend Ted Chapin. Thank you so much. Thank you. I feel a little bit out of body. I feel elated for the show and everybody that I've worked with over the, the many years that we've been working on it. And personally, I mean, it's a great honor. It's an incredible thrill. My goal, my dream as a really young actor was to be a working actor, was to do exactly what I'm doing. I mean, yeah, man, to, I didn't expect to come back to Broadway so soon after Race, but this um, production happened, and a lot of it is Providence being available to do the production that's being done at the time with the right people. I mean, it's really like lightning in a bottle. I certainly will admit I don't define success by award nominations, <laughs> but um, it's certainly a lovely thing, and it's a, a lovely thing to be in a group of people who I really admire and to be recognized along with them. This play is extraordinary. John Robin Bates is a genius. Uh, the dynamics in this play, the story of this play, the secret of this play is so incredibly special. And this cast is remarkable. The nomination is such a great achievement in itself. Um, and you know, I'm actually not someone who, I always just do what I do. I just do the work for the work. And so I, I'm never expecting anything like this. And so um, the recognition in itself and being nominated is something that I think is the greatest honor of all of it. I think it's it's what I look forward to every time I'm lucky enough to be part of it. It's the the celebrating the community of of performers and and artists who are part of making Broadway theater. Currently appearing each night in Gore Vidal's The Best Man, Jefferson Mays won a Tony Award in 2004 for his Broadway debut in I Am My Own Wife. Also a Tony winner for Best Play, the show made Tony history by being the only one-person show to win the award. Welcome, Jefferson. Thank you very much. I'd forgotten that little fact. Well, I was, I was going to say that, that, that you know, it, since this is a Tony Award program, that must have been extraordinary on many, many levels. Yes, it was. Yeah, a, a lot of people received their Tonys. I felt sort of ambushed by mine. <laughs> 
It was but, so unexpected. But that extraordinary, and for playing a, a woman, but many other characters as well. Mm -hmm. So that, it, you know, Broadway debut, one person show, you did, you know, it was all yours. Yes, there was a lot to absorb. But you were also very involved in the, in the creation of that piece, were you not? Yes. Yeah, before it had uh, been written, in fact. I remember I got a call from Doug Wright out of the blue saying, do you want to be in a play that hasn't been written yet? And, <laughs> and I said, you know, what's it, as long as you're writing, what, what's it about? You know, 65-year-old gay East German transvestites. Right. <laughs> That's Please. Sign me up. Yes. Um, so, uh, so, yes, I had that, uh, the unique luxury of being involved before a word had been set down on paper. And, uh, and, and the luxury of time, having been, a, you know, being able to, uh, to develop and, uh, have, have it gestate for a period of about three years, I think. And, and, and was the show first done off-Broadway in this town? Yes, it was, done, um, uh, it was done at Playwrights Horizons. It was actually done at About Face Theatre Company in Chicago. I think that was the first time that Doug Moises Kaufman and I came together to work on it uh, <clears throat> as a whole. Uh, at Sundance, the three of us made the first act, rough semblance of the first act. And then Doug and I reconvened in La Jolla the next year. A year had gone by, and I think that's so important. It's lovely to have time off from a project where you can uh, just absorb what happened in rehearsal. Um, and, and then Doug and I made Act Two, and then we reconvened the next year in Chicago, put the two pieces together, and then came to Playwrights Horizons, and then to Broadway. And, and when in any of that process, did you ever conceive that a Tony Award might be within grasp? Yes, no, no idea, <laughs> honestly. I, um, I thought this will have a very limited appeal, right. and it will run at some charming little downtown below 14th Street Theater for four weeks, and that will be it. Right. And it had been a great ride, but uh, it was just one happy uh, accident after another. When it was booked into the Lyceum, you thought, well, this will be a, a, a modest whatever. Yeah, a short little run, wonderful to be here, put a flag in. I remember I, I, I received an Obie Award when I first came to New York uh, for a, a play that I did, and a, an older actor took me aside and said, of course you know this means you will never work above 14th Street. Right. <laughs> so I thought, fine, I, I like it down here. But, uh, but, it, but in, some, in some ways, you took ownership of that piece. Um, or the or the piece had you as part of the ownership. Yes, part part owner, I would say. But it's uh, it's it's so lovely to know that it's being done around the world. I was going to ask you. Speak. But you did it in London, did you not? In yes, yeah, I did. I've, I've done it in London, Australia, uh, Berlin, uh, Caracas, Dublin. Uh, we had a bit of an international tour after the national tour. Is the dress now hung up for all time? I or don't do you know think where it might come out again? I'm not sure. I think it's in mothballs somewhere. I remember the last performance of I and My Wife I did was in Australia in a town called um, Aubrey Wodonga uh, on the border of New South Wales right. and uh, Victoria. And at the last performance, I took my pearls off and threw them into the Murray River. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so so like, like, like most people who come on the scene, Broadway debut, win a Tony Award, uh, the overnight sensation, you had been working for many years, had you? Yes, been? yes. And, and now you're in a play on Broadway that is sort of an old-fashioned political pot boiler yes. with, with a bunch of the most extraordinary actors. Yeah. Uh, what's that experience like? It, it is. It has truly been extraordinary. I, uh, it's one of the most generous uh, ensembles I've ever been with. I was a bit intimidated <laughs> at first. I'd never been on stage with stars of this magnitude. I've seen since I was a very little boy. And James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones, Angela Lansbury, Candace Bergen, uh, John Larroquette, Michael McKee, who's a 
hero of mine, yeah. Spinal Tap. Yes, indeed. indeed. Freaking, uh, With a certain that Spinal Tap generation is a very, very specific yes, group of us. Yes, um, and uh, and I, I was I was very intimidated to walk into that room on the first day, but um, it, it's it's inf it was infused from the get go with a great spirit of generosity and work ethic. Um, James Earl Jones still comes off stage after um, you know wiping it clean right. <laughs> nightly, and then goes and opens his script and reads and thinks about it and tries new things, and it, it just uh, I find it so thrilling and moving. It looks like you have been fortunate to work with an extraordinary collection of directors, um, which always leads me to feel that, that don't actors have to muster their self-protection from not good directors? So do you feel fortunate in having worked with good ones, or do you also feel that you, you, you know how to do it on your own if somebody's not giving you anything? Yes, I suppose there is that. I mean, I guess that's what technique is all about. And Maybe in some instances you have to put your wagons in a circle and, right. and fight your way out right, best right, you can. Right. Uh, but uh, but I have indeed been very very fortunate. The people I've worked with. I mean Bart um, Shear on Blood and Gifts, which yes. is extraordinary, played done in an extraordinary fashion. Yeah, he's a, he's a treasure. And uh, um, uh, one of those directors, I, I adore Bart. Fierce intelligence and this Jesuitical rigor you know, that he brings. Uh, to everything he does. It's, it was, rehearsing with him was never a pleasant experience, really, but it was certainly rigorous and a wrestling match and, and, and like breathing pure oxygen and in you, the room. You uniquely, or do you think he was that way with the whole company? I think he's that way by nature. I mean, it's, he, he's like this uh, grand inquisitor. <laughs> he's gonna kill me if he sees this. No, no, no. no but right. I just, I adore him and, uh, and I'm amazed by him and his intelligence and vision, but he's relentless. And there's that. And then there's the equally fiercely intelligent Michael Wilson, and it's like attending a cocktail party. <laughs> you know, it's like, are we really working here? You know, sometimes. I mean, but it's, it's so graceful. It's, his, it's part of his southern charm, I think, and, you know, years as an artistic director. Right. Um, so you have the, these two wonderful poles, but, but fascinating uh, artists. B both. Do, do you also feel after uh, I Am My Own Wife that, that you had to work perhaps a little, a little harder than you w would normally have to, ex to explain to the world that you're not just that character and that person? Right, or those characters. Or those characters, <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, perhaps so, although I think I, I feel very lucky about that in a way because I, I, it confounds my agent, I know, <laughs> because they can, they, sometimes they don't know what to do with me or people don't know what to do right. with me. It's like, well, he, he wore a dress and a headscarf and right. pearls. Henry Higgins, logical. Yes, yes. Right, right. Um, so, but it, it's, it's made for a very interesting journey because mm -hmm. I, I, I never really know what's going to come up next and it's, it's always a surprise. And I don't find myself uh, necessarily falling into uh, typecasting. But that may be part of the challenge of being an actor, but also part of the thrill, I would think. It's of, of, of not knowing what's next. No, no, coming. no, ab absolutely. And uh, no, every morning is potentially Christmas morning. And right. Something <laughs> new will, will, uh, turns up. And have you done television film? I have, yes. Are you in, uh, is that a direction you'd like to go yes, to? Yes, I've en enjoyed my experiences. I've never, I would love to be like a lead in a mm -hmm. film, or to, I mean, not for venal reasons, right. but just to have that experience. Because so often when you're doing episodics and uh, you're a guest, you, you sort of 
parachute in. And you come and beat the murderer strike. and go. Yes, and it's, it all happens very quickly, and there's so much to get used to. So I, I, I've, I haven't felt as though I've done my best work in, in those media yet. Are there roles that you hunger to do? Um, my next one. <laughs> right. Um, always. I, 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 I'm a bad, a bad planner. Uh, I, I just don't have a laundry list of roles to do. I, I just like to be uh, surprised by them. And uh, it, it's always exciting when a director comes up and says, you, I really see you as this, and, and describe something you never considered yourself for before. So uh, That's great. I had, my, my final question, you, you were born in the town that Eugene O'Neill summered in. Is there any... In Clinton, Connecticut? Well, in New London. I was told that... The, I oh, I was born in New London, yes. Born in New well, London. that's indeed where, yes, uh, Monte Cristo Cottage. Right. Uh, and I, if it was it, that hospital, it was blocks away from the yes, Monte Cristo. Yes, yes, indeed. Do you think maybe that's part of what... what oh, what? I should be so lucky. I, I just took my wife, uh, Susan Lyons, to Monte Cristo uh, last summer. And it's always a spooky experience. It's a haunted down. house. It is a haunted house. We were there. It was just us. And, you know, sort of fog was rolling in off New London Harbor, and we could hear the, the fog horn and uh, could practically hear, you know, Mary Tyrone creaking around <laughs> upstairs. And so were you a Navy brat? Is that why New London? Yes. Yeah. That's great. Well, you've come, you've come a ways from New London. Indeed. Not, and, not uh, terribly far. Well, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. But thank you so much for being oh, here. And um, congratulations on all your success, and may there be a great deal more of it. Thank you, Ted. Thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Ted Chapin, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theatre, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theatre television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the wing, and thanks for watching.